0: Verily the praise belongs to Allah, we praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness And we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds Whomever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray And whomever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that he has no partners or associates and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is his slave servant and his messenger. After this, we would like to continue in our series of lectures concerning the explanation of the essay of Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal May Allah have mercy upon him His essay entitled Usul al-Sunnah The Fundamentals or the Foundations of the Sunnah We discussed many issues in the previous uh, lectures And in this lecture, lecture number 9 We would like to continue uh, where we left off in this lecture inshallah we would like to talk about two main topics one of them related to the Sahaba, the companions of the Prophet sallallahu and their superiority over the other generations of the Muslims and also how that relates to the false and corrupted aqidah, the false belief of the people known in the books of the scholars as the rafida known today amongst the people commonly as the Shia and the second point that we would like to discuss is related to the recognition and acknowledgement of authority or leadership in the Muslim community acknowledging that leadership, obeying the leaders and not rebelling against them, fighting against them or killing the leaders for some reason that we may feel justified in doing so. And this is related to the false belief or the false aqidah of another group of people who deviated from the Muslim Ummah known as the Khawarij. Let us begin from Usul Sunnah with the saying of Imam Ahmed Rahimullah khayru hadhihi Al Umma Abu Bakr al Siddiq. Then Umar ibn al-Khattab, then Uthman ibn Affan, رضي الله And the best of this ummah, the best of this nation of Muslims after its Prophet Muhammad صلى الله عليه وسلم, the first and foremost is Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, then Umar ibn al-Khattab, and then, thirdly, Uthman ibn Affan. He goes on to say. هؤلاء الثلاثة كما قدمهم أصحاب رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لم يختلفوا في ذلك We give precedence to those three That is Abu Bakr, Umar and Uthman just as the companions of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu gave precedence to them They the companions أجمعين, never differed in this matter It was agreed by consensus that the best of the Muslims after the Prophet Muhammad wasallam is Abu Bakr siddiq and then the second of this Ummah is Umar ibn al-Khattab and then Uthman ibn Affan, and there was no difference of opinion about this ثم بعد هؤلاء الثلاثة أصحاب الشورى الخمسة علي بن أبي طالب الزبير والسلحة عبد الرحمن بن عوف وسعد ibn أبي وقاس then after these three, who we have mentioned as being the foremost of the Muslim Ummah, come the five companions of the Shura Council, those who were given the responsibility to choose the next Khalifa, that is Ali ibn Abi Talib, Az-Zubair, Salha, Abdur-Rahman ibn Awf and Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas, And all of them, the first three and these five, are of the ten people who were promised paradise by the Prophet ﷺ through the revelation from Allah Subh'anaHu Wa ta'ala. Each of them, Imam Ahmed says, each of them of these five was fitting and appropriate for Khilafah. Any one of them could have been the leader of the Muslims. That is after Abu Qatar and Umar. And each of them was an Imam or leader in his own right. From amongst them, they made the decision to choose Uthman ibn Affan after the death of Umar ibn al-Khattab. Imam Ahmed goes on to say, (laughs) وَنَذْهَبُوا فِي ذَلِكَ إِلَى حَدِيفِ Ibn Umarِ كُنّا نَعُدُّ وَرَسُولُ لَعِيسَلَّ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ حَيُّّن وَصْحابُهُ مُتَوَافِرُونَ Abu Bakr ثُمَّ عُمَمَّ عُثْمَان In this regard, in our Aqidah, we take the Hadith of Ibn Umar as a proof for us. He said in that Hadith, we, meaning the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, used to consider while the Messenger of Allah ﷺ was living. He was alive and amongst us, and his companions were widespread. We used to consider by agreement Abu Bakr to be the first of the Ummah after Muhammad ﷺ, then Umar, then Uthman, and then we remained quiet. And this hadith is reported by Al-Bukhari, Abu Dawood, At tirmidhi Ibn Majah, and others. This is the agreement and consensus of the companions of Muhammad, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, even though the Rafida, today known as the Shia, have rejected this consensus and denied the superiority of Abu Bakr and Umar, and Uthman, and they claimed that Ali, عنه, may Allah be pleased with him, was first and foremost and the most virtuous of this Ummah after Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Al-Imam Ahmed goes on to say, ثم من بعد أصحاب أهل بدر من المهاجرين ثم أهل بدر من الأنصار من أصحاب رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم على قدر الهجرة والسابخة أولا Then after the five companions of the Shura Council are the people, the next in line of those who have superiority in the Muslim Um Ummah are the people who fought in the battle of Badr when the Muslims fought against the pagans of Mecca. The first foremost amongst the people of Badr are the Muhajirin, those who made hijrah from Mecca to Medina. And then those who fought in the battle of Badr from amongst the Ansar, the people of Medina who helped them when they made their migration from Mecca to Medina. From amongst the companions of the Messenger of Allah each one's rank is according to his migration. That is, those who migrated first from Mecca to Medina and so on. And also, their rank is according to their precedence in the religion, or those who entered Islam first. The first of those who entered and then those who came after them, their rank is accordingly. ثم الناس بعد هؤلاء أصحاب رسول الله sallama. القرن الذي بعث فيهم كل من صاحبه صحبه سنة أو شهر أو يوم أو ساعة أو رآه من أصحابه له من الصحبة على قدر ما صحبه وكانت معه منه ونظر إليه. Then the most superior after Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and the five people of the Shura Council and the people who fought in the battle of Badr from amongst the immigrants who came from Mecca to Medina and from amongst the Ansar who helped them in Medina. The next of the superiority of mankind after these are the generality of the companions of the Messenger of Allah that is the generation in which he was sent. Those who believed in him uh, and accompanied him. Everyone who accompanied him whether for a year, a month, a day, an hour or just merely saw him, then that person He is considered to be from amongst the companions. Of course, we should uh, also uh, consider that this definition is a general definition, but we should also include, it means that those who accompanied him or saw him even for a day or an hour, meaning those who accompanied him or saw him while they were believing in the message that he came with. They had submitted to Allah as Muslim, And they believed in him and saw him as believers and also that they died as believers. But not after entering Islam, then going out of Islam and dying on disbelief. But those who saw him as believers and died as believers, whether even if they saw him just for one hour or accompanied him just for one hour, then they are considered to be of his companions. And these people, each of them, his companionship is according to the extent to which he accompanied him and to the extent to which he had precedence in being with him heard from him and looked at him. And there are degrees of those from amongst the companions uh, according to uh, their relation to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi the time they spent with him and the sacrifice they made and the persecution that they were subjected to for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, each one according to his condition. Al-'a'mal kana sahabu sallallahu alayhi sallam wa minhu. So the closest of them in companionship to him are more excellent. Or not the closest of them actually. But actually the meaning here means the least of them in companionship. The least of them in companionship. Not meaning those the likes of Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali, but the least of those in companionship who are less than them and who are not as close to him as them are more excellent, the least are more excellent than the generation, the second generation, those who came after him, who did not see the Prophet ﷺ, even if those of the next generation met Allah with all good actions, even if they did so many good deeds. They are not equal to those who who were in companionship or who saw and believed in the Prophet ﷺ in his own time. Despite that, those who accompanied the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, in spite of the fact that those of the next generation may have did many good deeds, those who accompanied him, saw him and heard from him are superior. And whoever saw him with his eyes and believed in him, even for an hour, is more excellent on account of this companionship. Because of him being classified as a companion, this is a virtue that Allah has given to him, and he has not given to those who came after. Because of this virtue of being a companion of the Prophet they are superior to those who came after them, from amongst the tabi'een, that is, the students of Sahaba. Even if those tabi'een did every kind of action of goodness. And we discussed this topic before the definition of uh, companionship and so on but let me just say also I would like to mention one hadith of the Prophet وسلم, uh, which is related by Ibn Majah, Ibn Hibban, Al-Bayhaqi and al hakim who declared al hakim who declared Sahih and Al-Zahabi and Al-Albani agreed with him they said that it was Sahih and this hadith also shows the virtuousness and superiority of these specific Lee mentioned companions of the Prophet Sallallahu even though the Rafidah or the Shia reject them and even go so far as to call them as castes those who apostated after the death of the Prophet This hadith which is authentic in it is reported that the Prophet Sallallahu said the most merciful of my ummah to my ummah is Abu Bakr. He is the merc- most merciful of my ummah to those of my ummah. Abu Bakr. And the Rafidah said that he became an apostate. The lying or Shia. The Prophet ﷺ said, the most strict of them in the deen of Allah is Umar. That is, Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu. And also the Rafidah rejected him along with Abu Bakr and claimed that he turned away from the Prophet ﷺ after the death of the Messenger of Allah ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ said, the most true of them in modesty is is Uthman. That is, Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu. And the best judge amongst them is Ali ibn Abi Talib. The best reciter of the Quran is Ubay ibn Kaab. The most knowledgeable of them about the lawful and the prohibited is Mu'ad ibn Jabal. The most knowledgeable of them concerning laws of inheritance is Zayd ibn Thabit. Truly every ummah has a guardian and the guardian of this ummah is Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah. The Shaykh Abdullah ibn al-Jabrin, hafizahullah, in his discussion of this particular point, related to the superiority of Abu Bakr, Siddiq radiallahu anhu, and then Umar and uthman and so on, says that the scholars have discussed in their writings about the aqidah related to the companions of the Prophet wasallam. They have mentioned these things about the rank of these particular companions and those who are next in line from amongst the people of Badr and so on. They mention this as a refutation against the raafidah who denied that most of the Sahaba remained on Islam. They declared most of them to be Kafirs. And the reason for this is that the Rasidah, those people who claim to love Ali, and who claim to love the household of Ali and Fatima, and their lineage, those people, since they believed as they believed, their false belief, that Ali, radiallahu anhu, was more right, or, or had more right to the Khilafah, or the rulership, after the death of the Prophet sallallahu they claimed that he had more rights than Abu Bakr, Umar and Uthman then they had to support their false belief so they fabricated sayings hadith in which they claimed that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam appointed Ali radiallahu anhu to be the successor for him after his death but when they found that this did not happen that Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu became the khalifa and then Umar and uthman and so on, then they claimed that Abu Bakr and Umar and uthman took the authority or the rulership unlawfully and unjustly from Ali radiallahu anhu. They claimed that the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa were wrong and made a mistake in giving their allegiance to Abu Bakr and Umar and uthman radiallahu anhu ajma'in. Because they believed that Ali had more right to it, and injustice was done to him, that wasn't sufficient. They didn't stop at that, but they went on to declare the kufr or disbelief of these companions of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and they used as a proof the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi in which he said in Mecca. Or it was said to him in that hadith which he reported to us, it would be said to him, in لَا and when the Prophet ﷺ would be at the haud that we discussed in a previous lecture on the day of resurrection where his ummah would come to drink from and some people would come to him and they would be turned away and he would say, these are from my ummah. Then it would be said to him, verily you do not know what they did, the newly invented things that they invented after you, and yani the innovations that these people created. So these Rafiwa people claimed that the people who created or who invented these innovations and who would be turned away from the Haud or the pond of the Prophet sallallahu on the day of resurrection, that they are his companions Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and most of his companions only excluding three or four or five of them who they accepted and they said these didn't become apostates. So they made these lies up and they invented lies against so many of the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi so the people of Sunnah, the Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'a refuted these lies and relied upon the authentic narrations of hadith from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam showing the virtues of the Sahaba and they clarified who had the highest in rank from amongst the Sahaba and the most right to the rulership that is Abu Bakr and then Umar and uthman and so on and they showed through reliable and authentic narrations and there are so many of them reported in the correct books of hadith including al-Bukhari and Muslim and so on showing the virtues of these uh, the Khulaf al those who were appointed and who were agreed upon to be the rulers or the leaders of the Muslim ummah after Muhammad sallallahu <laughs> alayhi wa we know for example that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa when he was on his sick Bed or on his deathbed, and he was unable to perform the prayers. He told the people to order Abu Bakr Siddiq radiAllahu Anhu to lead the people in the prayers. In his lifetime, he himself appointed the best of the Ummah to lead the people in the most important of the rites of ibadah, that is, a salat, the congregational prayers. In his absence, because he was at that time sick, which shows that the superiority of Abu Bakr. It was something. Uh, not only known to the Sahaba uh, through his actions and deeds but also it was clearly identified by the appointment of the Prophet himself of Abu Bakr to lead the people in prayers so Abu Bakr prayed he led the people in prayer during those days that the Prophet was ill and he continued in that until the death of the Prophet then the people agreed in giving bay'ah to him as the imam as the leader, as the khalifa over them and they understood that since the Prophet Wasallam considered Abu Bakr the most rightful to lead them in their prayers, in their religious acts, then he had more right also to be their leader in the worldly affairs, that is to be the ruler of the ummah. And they agreed upon this and they didn't differ in it at all. Uh, the Sheikh Abdullah ibn Jibreen he goes on to say, that the most superior of the yeah that these, the Khulaf al-Rashidin they are the most superior of this Ummah and this Ummah is the best of all nations and the best generation of this Ummah is the one in which the Prophet was sent in, his companions and the best of the Sahaba is the four Khalifas, the Khulaf al-Rashidin and the best of them is Abu Bakr and therefore he is the best of this Ummah after the Prophet then he goes on to mention how uh, Abu Bakr how he was appointed and agreed upon by the people and then also how Umar was uh, appointed by Abu Bakr Before he died, he was appointed by Abu Bakr to be the next Khalifa. And how Uthman was appointed by the Shura Council and so on. And then he mentioned uh, that the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, we should ask Allah's mercy upon them and pray to Allah that he be pleased with them uh, because of their having precedence in Islam and their virtues and superiorities that no one else can reach like them. And one of the proofs of this is the saying of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallama, لَا تَصُبُّ أَصْحَابِي فَوَالَّذِي نَفْسِ بِيَدِهِ لَوْ أَنْفَقَ أَحَدَكُمْ مِثْلَ أُهُدْ ذَهَبًا مَا بَلَغَ مُدَّ أَحَدِهِمْ وَلَا نَصِيثَهُ That no one should condemn or criticize or curse my sahabi, my ashabi, my companions. I swear by the one in whose hands is my life, I swear by Allah, that if any one of you were to spend that which is equal to the mountain of Uhud in gold, and the mountain of Uhud is one of the greatest mountains in the Arabian Peninsula, and it stretches for some miles, he said that if any one of you of the later generations would spend the amount in gold equal to the size of Uhud, It wouldn't, in front of Allah, it wouldn't be equal to one handful or one mud that was given, or even a half a mud that was given in charity by any one of his companions who believed in him and and accompanied him in his lifetime. The amount of the Jabal or the mountain of Uhud and Gold given in charity by anyone else wouldn't be equal to the handful of charity of wheat or grain, a handful or even a half of handful, that was given by the companions of the Prophet So this is an indication of their superiority that no one else could be equal to Also the hadith of the Prophet in which he said That the best of my ummah is my generation that is, those who were amongst him, his companions, and then those who came after them, that is, the Tabi'un, students of companions, and then those who came after them, the Atba' the Tabi'in, or the students of the students, of the companions of Muhammad sallallahu He mentioned two generations, or three, and then he remained silent about the generations who would come after them, which indicate the superiority of the first three generations of the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the truth in those generations was apparent and strong and so was the sunnah in their generations virtue, uh, victorious and also the people of sunnah were in power and victorious in those generations and the people of Bid'ah they were weak and they couldn't get hold of any power until after those generations in which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said that they were the best of this ummah that is in the fourth generation and those that came after them. In that time, the Mu'tazila and the Jahmiya and the qadariyah and jabariyah and the Shia or Rafidah these various uh, misguided groups began to spread and take some power amongst the Muslims. Also, he mentions here some of the uh, claims that the Rafidah or the Shia false claims and lies that they spread against the companions of Muhammad sallallahu Alaihi wa in general. And, and some of them specifically, they uh, made some lies such as they claimed that Khalid ibn al-Walid radiallahu anhu, that he killed a man, Malik ibn Nuwayra. He killed a Muslim in order to take his wife and then he married that man's wife in the same night in which he killed her husband and that Abu Bakr siddiq radiallahu anhu agreed to this and allowed it. This, such lies as this are so obvious that even without knowing anything about the Islamic history, but just knowing something about the life of Abu Bakr siddiq and that he was the closest of companions to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam makes us to know that he couldn't have allowed such a thing if it did in fact happen. And Khalid ibn al-Walid radiallahu anhu was one of the Companions of the Prophet ﷺ who fought in the way of Allah, and he was given the title Saifullah Allah or the Sword of Allah because of his dedication and striving and struggling in jihad. How can we expect that such people who were companions, who were students of the Messenger of Allah, could do such things? They also lied against Umar ibn Khattab and said that he remained behind from the army of Usama ibn Zayd. Uh, when he went out, and they claimed, of course, they are trying to say that Umar was afraid to go out to this battle because it was going against a great empire, but in fact we know it is clear from the Islamic history that he remained behind at the command of Abu Bakr Siddiq, who was the Khalifa, because he was in need of Umar as his second in command. And also, they made lies generally against the companions overall, in which they said in the battle of Hunayn and Ghazwat Hunayn, that the companions ran away from the battlefield and turned their backs as is mentioned in the Qur'an wulaytum that then you turned away or you turned around turning your back to them we know that this incident from the Islamic history that it was something that did take place and it took place because of what Allah had decreed and then when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam called to them they returned to him Allah forgave, forgave them and excuse them and so did the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi but they use this as an excuse to condemn the companions of the Prophet sallallahu even though Ali ibn Abi Talib radiAllahu anhu who they love and some of them even raised up to be as a guide besides Allah he was amongst the companions in that battle also but they excuse this and they only condemn those of the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that is convenient for them to condemn Uh, And there are so many points that he made here about this, there's no need to mention them all. The important thing is we want to mention or we want to bring to our attention the importance to be aware of these false stories and these lies and claims that are made by the Rafidah or the Shia in order to uh, condemn and to uh, discredit the companions of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi and particularly Abu Bakr and Uthman so that they may try to prove their claim that Ali Radiallahu uh, Anhu had the most right to be the Khalifa and that it was unjustly uh, taken from him. The next point that Imam Ahmed discusses well, before going on to that, let me just uh, mention quickly a brief de- definition of the Rafidah as some of the scholars have mentioned in various sources and we collected it uh, to try to give just an idea or a picture of who are these people, the Rafidah. The Rafidah are the extreme Shia who call themselves the إثن Ashrah, the 12 is, or those who believe in the 12 infallible Imams that they actually describe as having the characteristics of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. They are also known as the Ja'faris. This sect was founded by Abdullah ibn Sabah, a Jew from Yemen who appeared in the time of the rule of Uthman ibn Afan radiallahu anhu. And that Jew, Abdullah ibn Sabah, he claimed to love Ali and the ahl the family of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in order to get the attention uh, of the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the Tabi'in and those who came after them. The rafida curse the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and declare them to be disbelievers, and particularly Abu Bakr, Umar and Uthman and even the wives of the Prophet ﷺ are not left free from these people. They also believe the Qur'an to be incomplete. They say that the companions of the Prophet ﷺ uh, took away so much of the Qur'an and only left part of it. Even though Allah says in the Qur'an that he will preserve the Qur'an so that it could not be distorted, added to, or anything taken away from it. The Rafida or rejectives are an extreme sect of the Shia who rejected Zaid, Ibn Ali, Ibn al Hussein, one of the uh, descendants of Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anhu, they rejected him due to his refusal to condemn Abu Bakr and Umar. May Allah be pleased with the both of them. These Rafidah rapidly deteriorated in their aqeedah beliefs and their morals until the present day where their beliefs are those represented by the Ithna Ashara Shia of Iran that are ruling in Iran today of the party of the former so-called Imam al Khomeini From their false beliefs are declaring that all but three or five of the companions are disbelievers and they believe that their 12 Imams have knowledge of the unseen of the past, present and future uh, and considering that the position of Imam or Imama to be one of the main pillars of Iman or faith and also they believe in the incompleteness of the Quran so that anyone who doesn't Except that these 12 Imams are infallible, then in fact they have denied according to them one of the pillars of faith and therefore could not be considered as a Muslim. In that case we understand that these people actually declare the Sunni Muslims or the people of Ahl al-Sunnah and Jama'ah they declare us all to be disbelievers. So be warned from them and don't take this matter lightly. These people are very deceptive and they show one face to those who don't know and they don't tell you their real belief until they get your confidence and feel that they are able to mislead you and deceive you the second point that imam ahmed deals with uh, as we continue in this uh, essay he says wasma'u wa ta'atu lil a'imati wa amir al mu'minin al barri wal fajiri min man waliya al khilafa wa wajma'a al nasu wajtama'a al nas alayhi wa bihi and hearing and obeying the leaders, the Imam, and the Amir al-Mu'mineen, the leader of the believers, the Khalifa, whether righteous or unrighteous, hearing and obeying the leaders, the Imam, whether righteous or unrighteous, from amongst those who came into power with the Khilafah, or the rulership, and with respect to whom the people have agreed and united themselves and are pleased with them. Yani, yeah, those who came into rulership by popular consensus, وَمَنْ خَرَجَ عَلَيْهِمْ أَوْ عَلِيَهُمْ بِالسَّيْفِ حَتَّى صَارَ خليفة أَمِيرٌ المؤمنين. And also hearing and obeying the one who fought against the people with the sword. That is, he conquered them or overcame them by force until he became the khalifa and then he became known as the Amir Mu'minin. Also, we believe in hearing and obeying the leader in this case. Whether he came to force by popular consensus or he came... Uh, or came into power by popular consensus or came into power by force. And this is the Aqidah of the uh, first generation of the Muslims, the companions of the Prophet ﷺ and those who came after them. Up until this day and time, the scholars of ahl al-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah have all agreed upon this and we can find in all of the books of aqeedah the mention of this as a basic principle of belief or of the menhaj or methodology of the ahl al-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah and this is for the maintenance of safety and security and stability in the Muslim Ummah that there must be leadership and there must be authority. Participation in the battles along with the leaders, whether they be righteous or unrighteous, is an everlasting affair up to. Uh, that is always operative up until the day of judgment, and it should never be abandoned. Wa qismatu al-fay, wa al ليس لأحد أن يتعن عليهم So also the division of spoils of war, in the time of jihad, and the appointment of rulers or imams to establish the prescribed punishment for crimes committed or violations of the law. All of this or both of these were everlasting, up until the day of judgment. It is not permissible for anyone to slander the leaders or to contend with them, that is, challenge their authority. Also, handing over the charity to them, to the rulers, is permissible, and, and in effect, whoever gives the charity to them, then that will suffice him. That is, his obligation will have been fulfilled. Whether that ruler or that leader is bar al fajr, whether he is righteous or sinful. And you will notice in all of the books of the Aqeedah of Ahl Sunnah and Jama'ah that the scholars use these two terms, bar al fajr, whether the leader is righteous or unrighteous, still these things are due to him, that is, fighting with him in jihad, paying the charity to him to be distributed by the Muslim government and so on. Also he said, Was Salatul Jumati, Khalfahu, Wa Halfah Men, Willia, Jaizatun, Tamatan, Al Tamatun Rakaatani, Mena Adahuma Fahuma Mub Teddyon, tarikun Lil Atar, Muhalifun Lisuna, Laysala Human Fadli, Jumaratihi, Shaun, Ida Lam Mira is Salat Khalfa, Khalfa Al Aimmah, Mencana, Barrihim, Al Fa Jurihim, and performing the Jummah prayer behind him, that is the ruler. And behind whomever he appoints is permissible and perfect and consists of two rakah. The the Juma prayer consists of two rakah completely. It is perfect and complete. Whoever repeats them, these two rakah, after praying behind him, thinking that this Imam is unrighteous or something, so therefore the prayer is not accepted, whoever prays behind the Imam and then repeats it, then he is an innovator. He is Mubtadiah, one who has abandoned the narrations and one who has opposed or is in conflict with the Sunnah. The companions of the Prophet ﷺ didn't act in such way and we are not to act in such way. He receives nothing of the reward from the excellence of his attendance of the Jummah prayer if he does not accept and hold that prayer and hold that prayer is to be observed behind the leaders. Whomever they may be, the righteous amongst them and the sinful or unrighteous amongst them. فَالسُنَّةُ أَن يُصَلِّيَ مَعَهُمْ رَكَعَتَيْنِ مِنْ أَعَادَهَا فَهُوَ مُبَتَّدِعَ وَيَدِينُ بِأَنَّهَا تَامَةٌ لَا يَقُنْ فِي صَدْرِهِ مِنْ ذَلِكَ شَكٌّ So the sunnah is that he prays two rak'ah with them. Whoever repeats these two rak'ah is an innovator. And that he acknowledges that they are perfect and complete, not having any doubt whatsoever in his heart regarding such. And then Imam Ahmed goes on to say, وَمَنْ خَرَجَ عَلَىٰ إِمَامٍ مِنْ عِمَةِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ And whoever revolts against a leader from amongst the leaders of the Muslims, وَقَدْ كَانَ النَّاسُ اجْتَمَعُوا عَلَيْهِ after the people had agreed upon him and united themselves behind him وَأَقَرُّوا لَهُ بِالْخِلَافَةِ and the people had affirmed for him the rulership بِأَيِّ وَجْن كَانَ بِالْرِضَةِ أَوْ بِالْغَلَبَ فَقَدْ شَكَّ هَذَا الْخَارِجُ أَسَى الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَخَالَفَ الْآثَرَ عَنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهِ عليه وَسَلَّمْ فَإِنْ مَاتَ الْخَارِجُ عَلَيْهِ مَاتَ مَيْتَةً جَاهِلِيَةً Then uh, whoever does such, yeah, I mean whoever revolts against the leader, after the people have accepted that leader and united themselves behind him and affirmed him as the leader, in whatever way he became the leader, however it may have been, whether it was by agreement or the pleasure and acceptance of the people or whether it was by force and domination over them, then this whoever revolts against him has divided the Muslims and has contradicted the narrations of the Messenger of Allah, and if the one who revolts against the ruler dies in that condition, then he would have died like the people died in the days of jahiliyyah, or in the days of ignorance before Islam. And finally Imam Ahmed closes this portion of the essay by saying, Wallaya Sultan, Wala al Alayhi, Li ذَلِكَ فَهُوَ مُبْتَدِعٍ and the killing of the one in power is not lawful and nor is it permissible for anyone amongst the people to revolt against him whoever does that is an innovator and is upon other than the Sunnah and the correct path this is very important for us to understand especially in this day and time in which many or most of the rulers in the Muslim world today are not of the best of people, they are not of the most righteous or religious of the people, and so on. Some of them might be immoral or corrupt and such, and therefore we might feel justified, or some might feel justified in killing those rulers to replace them with someone better, or overthrowing them to replace them with someone that they feel is better, and so on. But we should know that from the aqidah of the Ahl Sunnah wal Juma'ah, as Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal rahimahullah, and he is the Imam of the Ahl Sunnah wal Jamaah has stated in these uh, passages it is clear that to revolt against the rulers, to divide the Muslim Ummah, to try to overthrow the authority, whether that ruler is in and of himself, he is a righteous or unrighteous person, this is against the Sunnah and is not acceptable. And there are many proofs about this, and there are many sayings of the scholars, I would like to just mention a few of them, Uh, even though time does not permit us to mention this topic or to discuss it in total detail, uh, it requires a lecture, a complete lecture in and of itself, but in any case, Let me just mention some of the points that the scholars have mentioned about such and uh, also some of the hadith uh, concerning this matter. We have already mentioned the statements of Imam Ahmed about this matter. And also in another place, Imam Ahmed says, "Rahimahullah, this is the way of the people of knowledge, those people who stick to the sunnah or the narrations of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi those people who stick to the fundamentals and are known for this and those who are followed in this way, firstly from amongst the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi up until this day of ours. Al-Imam Ahmed says that I have met so many of the scholars of the people of Al-Hijaz, of Mecca and Medina the people of al-Sham that is from Syria and Lebanon and Palestine and so on and others and I found all of them upon this way as I have mentioned here. So whoever opposes anything of these matters that we have discussed or whoever uh, finds fault in it or criticizes the one who says these things that we are saying here are from the aqeedah of the Ahl al-Sunnah wal-Jamaah then that person who opposes such he is mubtadiah, he is an innovator. And he is outside of the jama'ah. He has separated himself from the jama'ah and he has slipped from the minhaj or the way of the sunnah and the way of al-haq. Then Imam Ahmed says uh, that it is from this way and these fundamentals to submit to the authority of those whom Allah has made, whom Allah allowed to be in authority over us and not to withhold our hand of obedience from them. And not to rebel against them by taking out our swords or our weapons and fighting against them. And hold back from such until Allah makes a way out for us. That it is not right to rebel against the authority. But we must hear and obey and we must not uh, nullify or violate the oath of allegiance that we have given to our leaders or our rulers, the Muslim rulers. And whoever does such, then he is an innovator. He is in contradiction and he has separated from the or the community and if your ruler or leader orders you to do that which is disobedience to Allah then you are not to obey him in any way but still it is not your right to rebel against them or to hold back their rights, their right of authority Al-Imam Muhammad ibn Ismail al-Bukhari concerning these matters in his book, The Aqeedah of Imam Al-Bukhari he said that, I have met more than 1,000 of the scholars of Islam from the people of Hejaz, Mecca and Medina, the people of Al-Kufa, Al-Basra Al-Basra, Wasita, Baghdad, Asham, Misr, all of these countries from the Muslim world uh, he said, I met more than 1,000 scholars from the people of knowledge and then he mentioned some of their names and he said, مَا رَأَيْتُوا وَاحِدًا مِنْهُمْ يَخْتَلَفْ فِي هَذِهِ الْأَشَّىٰهِ He said, I didn't find even one of them differ about these matters. And then he mentioned from amongst those matters is that we do not uh, dispute or deny the authority of the people who are in authority over us. And he mentioned as a proof for this the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ in which he said, ثَلَاثَةٌ أو La yagillu alay, alayhin albumri in Muslim, ikhla sula amali lillahi, wataratu wulatil amri, waluzumu jamaatihim, fa inna daawatahum to hateu minwaraihim. Remember Bukhari said that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that there are three things that the heart of a Muslim person would never refuse or hate or have rancor in them yani these things he would never reject them one of them is yani the doing of deeds purely for allah alone the second of them is obedience to those who are in authority over us our leaders or rulers and the third of them is sticking to their jamaa or the community he said these three things the heart of a believer a believing person would never reject them or have any hatred or dislike for such things. Doing things purely for Allah, obeying the leaders and sticking to the community. فَإِنَّ مِنْ Because their da'wah or their supplication actually encompasses those people who are behind them. That is, the supplication for the rulers also encompasses the people who are under the authority. And then he confirmed this hadith, that is, Al-Imam Bukhari confirmed this hadith by the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, من Obey Allah and obey the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa and those in authority from amongst you. In Surah Al-Nisa chapter 4, verse, verse 59. And Al-Fudayl, one of the great scholars, Al-Fudayl ibn Iyad rahimahullah, said that if I had one supplication that I knew would be answered I would make. I would not make that supplication for anyone except a leader any one of our leaders because if that leader is rectified and corrected and made good and righteous also Abu Muhammad Abdurrahman ibn Abi Hatim al Razi, one of the great scholars of Hadith, he said, I asked my father Abu Hatim and my uncle Abu Zura, who were two of the greatest of the scholars of Hadith, about what is the position or the madhab or the way of the Ahl Sunnah in the fundamentals of the Deen. And what did they find the scholars upon from all the lands that they visited? What did they find them believing? and they said, we found the scholars in all of the lands, in Hijaz, in Iraq, in Sham, in Yemen, in all of the countries, we found them on this madhab. and then they mentioned from it, the things that they mentioned, it is the performance of Jihad and Hajj, with the leaders of the Muslims, in every time. And we don't accept or we don't believe in rebellion against the Imams, or fighting against them, and making fitna or confusion and turmoil in the lands, but we hear and we obey, we obey whomever Allah has placed in authority over our affairs and we don't hold back our hand of obedience to them and we follow the sunnah and the jama'ah and we stay away from uh, difference and uh, separation and such. And then he goes on to say uh, also that jihad continues since Allah raised his prophet amongst us sallallahu until the day of resurrection with the Wali al-amr, that is, the one who is an authority from amongst the imams of the Muslims. This is something that would never be nullified. And so also hajj continues with the leader of the Muslims and a sadaqat charity uh, with whoever has been placed in authority over us from amongst the um, rulers, over the Muslims. In his book Al-Aqidah, Sharh Al-Sunnah, Al-Imam Al-Barbahari, he confirms a similar saying such as the other scholars said, whoever rebels against a Muslim ruler is one of the khawarij. They are the rebellious people who rebel against the the authority of the Muslim rulers. He is one of the khawarij. He has caused dissent within the Muslims and has contradicted the narrations, the hadith, and he dies a death of the days of ignorance or jahiliyyah. It is not permissible to fight the ruler nor to rebel against him even (laughs) if he oppresses or does wrong. And this is due to the saying of the Messenger of Allah ﷺ to Abu Dhal al-Ghifari. Have patience even if he is an Abyssinian slave. There is no fighting against the ruler in the Sunnah. There is no place for fighting against the ruler in the Sunnah. It causes destruction of the religion and even it causes destruction of the worldly affairs. And Al-Imam Al-Tahawi in his book Al-Aqidah Al-Tahawiyyah, he also confirmed in his own words the similar principle, we do not approve of rebellion against our Imams and rulers, even though they may act unjustly, even if he is an unjust or unrighteous person, that ruler. We do not pray against them, nor do we refuse to obey them. We hold that obedience to them is part of obedience to Allah, as long as they do not command the committing of sins or disobedience to Allah. We pray to Allah that He may guide them, correct them and make them better. We pray for them, not against them, and we pray that Allah will forgive them. We follow the sunnah and abide by the jama'ah and keep away from dissension, disagreement, and groups or petition. And so also similarly, this was confirmed in Al-Aqidah Al-Wasatiya by Shaykh Al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah. He said, taking these principles uh, as, as, our, as their guide, the Ahl-Sunnah Wal Jamaa encourage the doing of what is good and forbid the doing of evil as demanded by the Sharia Islamic law. They regard the performance of pilgrimage and Islamic war jihad as well as the observance of Friday prayer, al-Jum'ah and the Eid prayers along with the rulers whether they are pious or impious. And they are careful to uphold the prayer in congregation and regard the giving of sincere advice to the community as a religious duty. We should advise them and not uh, rebel against them. There are so many other of the scholars who said similar statements but uh, as time is uh, pressing I want to just quickly mention some incidents from the history of the early generations of the Muslims which confirm not only this principle in their writings but in their actual Lives, we found that the scholars of the Ahl Sunnah Wal Jama'a actually confirmed this principle and followed it in their own life uh, one of the examples of this principle in action this uh, minhaj or this methodology or this principle of the minhaj of the Ahl Sunnah Wal Jama'a uh, is the position of Ali Imam Ahmed himself Rahimahullah when a group of the scholars the Fuqaha of Baghdad they came to Imam Ahmed to consult with him about their intention to uh, disavow their loyalty or their uh, acceptance of the authority of al yani who was the ruler at that time. They came to him to consult with him about their decision or their intention to deny and to disavow themselves or to nullify or refute the authority of the ruler at their time and that ruler was a unrighteous ruler in fact at that time the thing that caused them to reach this position was that the ruler at that time had begun to call the people to or to affirm and stand by the false belief that the Quran is created as we mentioned in one of our previous uh, discussions that the Quran is the speech of Allah and is not created Well, that ruler at that time came to take on the false belief of a deviant group and he uh, started to call the people, not only to confirm that belief but to call the people to it and to order that it be taught to the children in the schools where where the children were learning to read and write and to memorize Quran. And he began to bring close to him those judges or others who stood by this position and he used to remove from him and make far from him those who opposed this belief that the Qur'an is created Al-Imam Ahmed, when those people came to him even with the seriousness of this matter, this false belief that the ruler was calling to which was clearly against the Qur'an and Sunnah and the belief of the companions of the Prophet still, Al-Imam Ahmed uh, criticized those scholars who came to him for taking such a position to uh, withhold their obedience to the ruler to separate from the ruler or to go out and fight against him so he criticized them and he prohibited them from doing such a thing and he said to them لا تخلعوا من طاعة ولا عصا المسلمين ولا Dimaakum ولا دماء المسلمين معكم انظروا في عاقبة أمركم he said to them don't remove your hand of obedience from the ruler and don't break up the Muslim unity or divide the Muslim by going against the ruler and don't cause your blood to be shed nor the blood of the other Muslims who might follow you to be shed But look and consider what may be the end of such action and don't don't be in a hurry don't be hasty don't be impatient. This was the advice the advice of a wise scholar of the people of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, but those people didn't accept his advice they rejected it and what happened happened. The blood of those people as well as those who followed them, was spilt the blood of Muslims. Innocent people was spilt because of their holding back the hand of obedience and rebelling against the ruler of the Muslims, even though even though he was an unrighteous ruler. Another example of this is the position of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, and he lived in a time when the ruler, was also clearly and well known to be of the unrighteous. In fact Imam Ahmed himself had been punished and had been persecuted by the, the rulers of that time because of his affirmation and spreading of the correct aqidah of the Ahl Sunnah wal jamaah and his refutation of those astray and misguided sects like the Sufis and the Ash'ariyyah and so on. And he was also imprisoned because of that so many times until he, Rahimahullah, actually died while he was imprisoned in the prison in Damascus by those rulers who were of the unrighteous rulers of his time. In spite of that, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, Rahimahullah, he was the most severe and serious in warning the people against rebelling against the rulers and holding back their hand from obedience to the rulers and he made it clear to them that such a way to travel on that path of rebellion against the rulers will only result in corruption and confusion and discord that would be greater than what we found from amongst those rulers that is the immorality or corruption of the personal immorality of that ruler or the wrongdoing or oppression of that ruler. The result of rebelling against the ruler would bring about even greater harm. He said, rahimahullah, for this reason it is the well-known position of the ahl Sunnah wal-Jama'ah that they do not agree to make rebellion against the Imams nor taking up weapons to fight against the Imams even if those Imams, even if we found in them wrongdoing or oppression and this has been indicated in the authentic hadith which are so many reported from the Prophet this prohibition of rebelling against the leaders or fighting against them or taking up weapons against them to kill them because the corruption or harm that would result from such fighting and discord in the community is much greater than the harm that comes from the personal wrongdoing or immorality of that ruler while there is no fighting or discord in the community for this reason the greater harm should be avoided even if we are subjected to a lesser harm and then he said that perhaps we cannot find one instance when any group or party from amongst the Muslims rebelled against the authority we cannot even find one instance except that their rebellion against the authority caused greater harm and discord uh, than the harm that they tried to remove. Even Shaykh Ibn Taymiyyah, he said uh, in an essay concerning the obligation of obeying Allah and obeying the Messenger وسلم, and those in authority from amongst us, which may be in the future, we may read from that essay, but there is no time today. In the end of it, he said, "ومن أفطى ما حلف عليه أي من لزوم That whoever gives a legal ruling or a fatwa, any scholar who gives such a legal ruling like these people have given that is that you may contradict or oppose that which you have the oath that you have made of obedience to the ruler and of giving advice sincere advice to the rulers when they went wrong whoever gives the legal ruling or fatwa that you may violate your oath and you may nullify such oath or such uh, oath that one has made, then this person is, has actually invented a lie against Allah, and he has made a fatwa which is outside of Islam itself. Uh, I am not able at this time to mention the commentary of Sheikh Abdullah ibn Jibreen, because his commentary on this particular point is very lengthy, but some of what he said in his commentary is similar to what we have already mentioned. Uh, but just let us, in, clo- in closing, only mention uh, a few points related to uh, the matters, specific matters of uh, praying behind the ruler even if he is unrighteous and such things that were mentioned in the course of our discussion this evening. Al-Imam al-Tahawi, or, the, or one of the scholars who explained the book of Al-Imam Al-Tahawi, the of Al-Tahawiyah, he says that about uh, the fact that we should pray Juma behind the leader or whoever he appoints in his place, that this is permissible and it is complete as Turaqah, and whoever repeats it, then he is an innovator and he has left the narrations or the sunnah or the way of the Prophet and his companions and so on. He says we should know that it is permissible for a man to pray behind someone who he does not know about his bidah. Yani if the imam has some bidah and you don't know about it, or some immorality and you don't know about it, there's no harm in praying behind him. And this is by agreement of the scholars or the imams of the Muslim ummah. And it is not a condition that the one who is praying behind an imam, that he has to know what is the aqidah of that imam. Or that he should give him an examination and ask him what is your aqidah. It is permissible to pray behind the imam, uh, even without knowing such. And if we pray behind someone who is from the people of bid'a, and even if that person calls to his bid'a, or he is an immoral person and his immorality is even known, but he is the imam that is appointed to lead the prayer in that masjid, and it is not possible to make the prayer except that you pray behind that imam. Such as the Imam in Jum'ah, what can you do except pray behind him? Or the Imam in the Salat of Eid, or the Imam in the Salat and Hajj in Arafat? You have no choice but to pray behind him. Then the person who prays, then the person should pray behind him, and there's no harm in it. And this is something that is agreed by the earlier scholars as well as the later scholars. And we know, for example, that the companions of the Prophet ﷺ used to pray the Jumu'ah prayer on Friday as well as the congregational prayers behind the unrighteous imams in their time and they didn't use to repeat the prayer and such was the practice of Ibn Umar he prayed behind al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf who was known to be an unrighteous oppressor and yet we don't find any such example that after praying behind this unrighteous leader that he used to repeat the prayer and so also was the case of Anas ibn Malik he used to pray behind such rulers and he didn't used to repeat the prayer. So there's no harm in such a case to pray behind the leader or whoever is appointed, whether he's righteous or unrighteous. Uh, and also, there's a the point that some of the scholars mentioned about the fighting against the rulers or rebelling against them. Uh that it is not permissible to rebel against them, to fight against them except in one case and that is in the case that that ruler openly shows his kufr and it became clear without any doubt and it is acknowledged by the scholars of the Muslims that that person is openly and clearly showing himself to be a kafir then in that case it is the responsibility of the people from authority from amongst the Muslims to remove such a person and to put someone who is better in his place but that is with the condition that they have the ability to remove him without bringing about a greater harm than the harm that is brought about by leaving him in authority. So this is some of what we wanted to mention this evening uh... and perhaps insha'Allah in the following lecture we might just continue briefly to mention some points from the essay of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah the obligation of obeying Allah and obeying the Prophet sallallahu wasallam and obeying those in authority from amongst you because there are some very interesting points that he has mentioned uh, but there is not enough time to mention them tonight inshallah we will take a few minutes from the next lecture and then we will go on to the following point in our next lecture inshallah subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk may Allah guide us all to understand these things that our scholars have left for us to try to implement them in our lives and to discuss them and explain them and pass them on to others so that the correct way of the people of Sunnah can be spread throughout the Muslim Ummah so that we can implement these principles in our lives and try to bring the Muslims closer to the way of our Prophet that which came in the Quran and in the sunnah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and that which was demonstrated by his companions radiyallahu anhum ajma'een and those who came after them from amongst their students, the tabi'un and those who followed them from amongst the imams of the Muslims up until this day. Ameen. Can we, talk about, can we even talk about the country and rulers' corruption among ourselves, that is, husband and wife or friends? The important thing here is that the scholars have reminded the Muslims and made clear to the Muslims uh, this point about not criticizing, condemning, blaming, slandering uh, the rulers because of the harm that it brings about. When such things are spread amongst the people, it inevitably leads to dissatisfaction, disrespect and disobedience to the authority. The purpose of not speaking about the uh, immorality, the wrongdoing, the corruption, etc. of the leader is in order to maintain the stability of the society especially in light of the fact that discussing such things doesn't really bring about any benefit when we sit amongst ourselves and criticize and condemn and spread stories about the immorality or wrong deeds of the rulers it doesn't correct anything, it doesn't change the situation nor does it bring those people closer to correction or changing their ways. But the proper thing to do is to advise the rulers if we are in the position to do so, and if we are not in the position to do so, then we should trust that our leaders, our scholars, who are in position to approach those rulers, that they would discuss with them, and they would advise them, and they would remind them to fear Allah and to correct themselves. Just as any individual who does something wrong, uh, and we know about it, we know our neighbor, for example, uh, drinks alcohol, or some other immoral or illegal action. There is no benefit for a man and his wife, or two ladies who are friends, or two men who are friends, or three of them, or a group of them, to talk about that person's wrongdoing. It doesn't stop that person nor does it help that person to correct themselves. But the right thing to do is to advise that person in private, to go to them and try to uh, encourage them uh, and remind them to correct themselves and to turn back in repentance to Allah. So just as the individual in the Muslim society has the right that they should not, that no one should backbite them or slander them. So also the ruler who is in authority over the people has more right that he shouldn't be slandered or that no one should backbite him. But just as the individual has the right that we should advise them to correct themselves and remind them to turn back to Allah, so also the ruler has the same right or more so that he should be advised and uh, corrected and that we should pray that Allah rectify him and reform him for the benefit or the general benefit of the people. Insha'Allah in the next lecture we may discuss this in more detail and mention some of what the scholars have said about such. What about the families of the rulers and their corruption? Royal family. And what about non-Muslims trying to understand why a Muslim ruler and or family is corrupt in manner and habits contrary to Islam? As I already said, the ruler, he is also a human being. He is an individual who has a right that he shouldn't be slandered wrongly by people saying things that are not confirmed nor should anyone backbite him even if it is true what they are saying it's not acceptable, it's not correct and it's not permissible so there is no benefit in such whether it is the ruler or the family of the ruler royal family or otherwise if any Muslim or non-Muslim doesn't understand why a Muslim ruler or the family of a Muslim ruler is corrupt or has bad manners or habits which are contrary to Islam, then we can explain to them the same uh, explanation that we would give when any person doesn't understand why any ordinary individual has bad manners or bad habits or commits some immoral or illegal action that's contrary to Islam. When any ordinary Muslim doesn't perform prayers or doesn't fast in Ramadan or commits some illegal act such as using alcohol or drugs or fornication or so on. We know that this is contrary to Islam and we explained that Islam doesn't allow such but the individual according to his, the strength of his iman and understanding and knowledge in the deen might abide by the laws and rules and guidelines of Islam or might not abide by it. And so also the rulers, they are the same, according to the level of their Iman, and according to their knowledge and understanding of the deen, they might uh, neglect some responsibilities or duties, or they might fall into some forbidden acts, and this only means that that individual has to that extent abandoned some part of Islam, and abandoned obedience to Allah, and it doesn't have any Um, reflection on the Islam itself. Because Islam doesn't condone such, such. but Islam suggests that when a person falls into wrong, they should repent, they should uh, ask Allah to forgive them and try to turn away from their ways. And the other Muslims who know about such should remind them and advise them and encourage them and pray for them that Allah will correct them. This is the same whether they are the ruler, the family of the ruler, or ordinary people who might be doing some wrong thing Or practicing some uh, actions that are contrary to Islam. I hope that answers your question.